Welcome to Principles of Faith with Scott Gray. In this teaching series, Scott explores the biblical truths of the other reality. beginning part four today in this series on the other reality and this part and I'll remind you there's five parts so there there is there is a conclusion to this series it's not an eternal series uh, contrary to some beliefs um, but this is part four of five parts and and part four is on God's health plan little little different twist but Many of you, if you work in the corporate world, about every November, <laughs> heads are shaking. If you work in a big corporation, about every November, you have to sign up again for your health plan and, and what benefits you're going to take and which ones you're going to choose. Most of them have these cafeteria plans and so forth. Um, and so you're familiar with, with a health plan and how you have to make decisions and you have to take it and you have to do and so forth. Well, God has the original health plan and there's no deductible. <laughs> there's no copay. In fact, you couldn't copay if you tried because the cost would be too high. You wouldn't have enough money to copay in God's health plan. But His health plan pays eternal benefits <laughs> and, um, and His health plan is a sure bet it never fails. It, it is comprehensive. It's not a, a high deductible. You don't need a, a health savings account to go along with it, to supplement it. Um, but it's a wonderful plan. And so it's a little bit different twist on, on the other topics in this, in this series. But in this other reality, God is, has taken care of our, our health care needs and our healing and provision for us to live in health in, to a point that it's, it's, it's in like in another world. You know why? Because it came from another world. <laughs> it's from another reality. It supersedes the natural circumstances and the natural causes of things in this reality that, we're, that our bodies are subject to. Some of you may have, because Christmas time is a time to be around more people, all your family, extended family members get together, okay, and they bring all their, all their germs with them, <laughs> and they share them freely, <laughs> and so many people get to experience the joy of all that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and so you may have had opportunity lately to experience some of the, what the natural realm brings as far as health, which is basically the opposite of it, it comes to steal it. And we're, we're going to talk about that. And we're going to contrast that with God's health care plan, which is that makes you uh, or puts you in a position where you have the ability to supersede or overcome the natural state of things, which is not health. And we're going to look at how we got to that point. But anyway, as, as you'll recall, the focus of our of our series has been 2 Corinthians 4.18, which says, 
while we look not at the things which are seen. So in this, we're contrasting things that are seen in the, in the, in the natural realm as far as sickness and disease and things that come against your health. So while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, which is going to be the provision we're going to study that God has given us, for the things which are seen are temporal. Boy, this is good news if you think about this in, in relation to sickness. The things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God's prescriptions never run out. You never get to the bottom of the, of the um, bottle. <laughs> There's plenty to go around, and you don't have to go back, and Jesus doesn't have to go back to the cross, or Jesus doesn't have to go back to the, the place called the pavement and get beaten again to provide more sickness for you because you used it all up. It's eternal. Now, someday, it's going to be, and this goes back to, to part three that we just finished, someday, you're not going to need healing anymore. Because when you get a glorified body, it's not going to get sick. But on this earth, because... Now, see, all of this, I want you to get, get this point. All of this that we're going to study in part four is based on, on the, what I would call the, the truth or the fact of what we studied or talked about last week is that, and the prior weeks, and then back to part two when we talked about the real you, your flesh has not been saved, right? Your body and your soul. Provision has been, give, has been paid for for them to be redeemed, we'll say, and brought out of this state they're in. In, e, in the ultimate eternity, which is heaven. But we know eternity, as we studied in part 3, begins the day you get born again. Because your spirit is totally redeemed and saved. And totally completed. To the point it's, it's living in a state of perfection. Which is the real you. <clears throat> but all this is based that we're going to look at today. And, and probably next week, is based on the fact that your flesh has not yet received its salvation. It hasn't manifested. Bless you. But, <laughs> you're trying to help me out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, object lesson. But, God is so good, and this is the point we made last week, that in this salvation that Jesus gave, he made provision for in the meantime. Until you receive that glorified body, until you receive that totally redeemed soul, he's made provision for you to have healing and health and for you to be able to stand against sickness and disease because he's paid a price for that even while you live in this natural realm still. So I want you to understand that. That's the context that we're, that we're talking about God's health plan. His health plan is for the here and now, right? Because his, his ultimate health plan is you get a new body who's not subject to sickness and disease. Just like, when we're going to see it in a minute, back in creation, he created these bodies to fight off any and everything and live in perfect health. When Adam and Eve were created in the garden, they were created, now this, this 
You can go back and read it, but again, we don't have time to spend too much time on that, but everything was created perfectly. It was self-sustaining. Adam and Eve didn't even have to tend the garden. It tended itself. They were given authority over it. They didn't have to till, dig up weeds, and do all this stuff. Wouldn't that be nice, Miss Becky? <laughs> and Carl, <laughs> no tillers in the Garden of Eden. Okay. But everything was perfect, including their physical bodies. They didn't need uh, a health care plan. But as things happened, and again, we're going to look at it, we got to a state where death came in and we need a health care plan. And so, but it's, it's great that what Jesus provided for us is that. So anyway, we're focusing still on the things not seen versus the things seen. And we know that Hebrews 11.3 tells us, and I don't know if we have that one to go up on there, but Hebrews 11.3 also goes along with that and says, By faith we understand the worlds were prepared by the word of God. See, it came from another realm. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So, based on all that, we looked at the spiritual realm. We studied that. We studied the real you, which is your spirit man. You're a three-part being. You are a what? This is fill in the blank. You are a spirit, (laughs) you have a soul, and you live in a body. Your spirit man, if you've been born again, was made perfect and was made to be a dwelling place for for who? Who? The Holy Spirit, right? And He came and lived inside of you. As we know, Andrew Almack likes to say, I'm wall-to-wall Holy Ghost on the inside. (laughs) He's filled me up, okay? And we know that there is an experience beyond being born again where you can be filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing. Receive your prayer language and a free flowing of that power of the Holy Spirit through and out of you, right? But your flesh, your mind, will, and emotions, and your body were not born again at that time. Again, like we said, salvation has provision for them, but they weren't born again. And then we looked at all those teachings when we talked about the real you in the last session on eternity, the true eternity, where the flesh battles against your spirit. And it's up to you, old spirit man, to take authority over your flesh. It's an evil partnership. And, and we read scriptures where it says, if you live according to the flesh, meaning that you, if you live letting your flesh rule you, what does it bring? Death. You're still in this, in this world, this natural realm, and that, those natural parts of you are still subject to death. But it says, instead... If you live according to the Spirit of God, and it says those who are led by the Spirit of God are called the who? The sons of God. If you live according to the Spirit of God, you have life. And we know we studied that life, and it's, it's not just the life like a tree or a dog or a cat. It's abundant life. Jesus said, I've come to give you, in the Greek it was that word zoe, which contains all these different meanings and all these different things that are part of life. An abundant life. And that's available to us. But we have to live and follow after the Spirit 
because the Spirit is the one that knows where that is, that knows how to lead us in that path that leads to life rather than the path that our flesh wants to lead us that leads to death. And so we have to walk in this eternity state that we've been given, this other reality, in order to see those things manifest in our natural self, right? You have to work on, and if I'd say there's any purpose to this whole series, it's to get us more um, determined and more conscious and more prepared to work on our spirit man dominating our flesh. Because you'll never be totally successful. You'll never continue to grow in God's Word and in His plans for your life until you get better and better at dominating your flesh. And it's a, that's a big task. <laughs> because all of us were born into this world with our flesh dominating us. That's why we needed a Savior, right? Because we were lost and undone without Jesus. You had no way to be born again. And so the flesh will, will lead you down the path to death. In fact, if it wasn't for the, the godly influences in your life, even before you were born again and all that, you probably died, of, all of us would have probably died a premature death because we would have just gone after it with such gusto, we'd have killed ourselves early by such stupid things we would have done. Some of you can think of some of those you, you tried back then <laughs> in the day that could have killed you. And but for the grace of God, it would have. But thank God we have the grace of God and we have it not just to pop up here and there just to get you out of some, some uh, death-defying situation, but we have the grace of God that if we'll listen and our spirit man can lead us day by day by day and lead us in even some of the smallest things in life that will add up to helping us be more successful in the bigger things. So anyway, all this is in the context of that. And so kind of the key verse that we're going to look at for part four is Romans 8.11. Romans 8.11. And Romans 8.11 it says, and I think we, we had this verse several weeks back. We touched on it when we were talking about living by the Spirit and so forth. But Romans 8.11 says, But if the Spirit of Him, and this is the capital S, Holy Spirit, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so we're talking about you being born again here, right? If He dwells in you, He, capital H, talking about that same Spirit, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So, this is what we're talking about. There's been provision made in the salvation Jesus brought and bought and paid for, for you to have life in the here and now in these mortal bodies. And it comes through... What's revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. He brings it through your spirit. So this life operates for us from the inside out. Not because in and of yourself you're something great and special on the inside. But because who you got living inside you. You got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The one of three 
of the characteristics of uh, or of characters persons of God. One of the Trinity lives inside of you. And so he's made provision for you to have life stirring up in this mortal body of yours. And so this is this is the key thing we're going to look at is God's health plan works from the inside out. You go to a, a medical clinic, you go to the emergency room, you go to the doctor's visit and they're going to work from the outside in. They're going to they're going to do what? They put you in a in what kind of a room when you go meet the doctor? An exam room. And the doctor comes in finally after you've been waiting in there for quite a while. And what does he do? He examines you. But he he has to look from the outside in. Now he's got some instruments, he's got some tools that help him to figure out what's going on on the inside of you where he cannot see physically with his eyes. And he'll listen. He'll listen to your breathing and stuff. Take your heart rate and so forth. They might even take some stuff out. They might take, take a blood sample. Okay? But he starts from the outside in. God's health care plan works in the opposite direction. He starts from the inside out. Why does he do that if you think about it? Which realm is, was the original realm? Which realm is the true reality? This natural realm that we see people and examine on the outside? Or this spiritual realm where the Holy Spirit comes from and dwells in you in an invisible spirit man that is directly connected with that other realm? That other realm is the, is the more true realm, right? And so God knows what's going on with your physical body better than you do better than your family doctor does, even better than the specialist does if you get sent to a specialist. Because God knows what... He, he created you. He created your kind. And He created everything about us, and he's the, He was the designer of it. He knows when it's not working according to plan. And He knows exactly what the answer is. So we've got the one on the inside of us that we can tap into that knows the answer to every problem. Now, I didn't plan to talk about this, but even when you take your spiritual medicine, which is the Word of God, and you take one of the prescriptions in here and speak it over yourself, okay, that's great, but the Holy Spirit even knows more uh, specifically in your situation what's going on, that He can speak in your spirit and say, well, this is what's causing this. If you'll stop doing this, or if you will more specifically take this particular scripture, and along with that in the natural, quit eating that for a couple of days and drink some more of this, do you know his prescriptions are so much better than the natural doctor, even the best one you've ever been to? Again, because he knows you individually, he knows you specifically, he's the designer, he's the creator. And so, wow, what, what a doc to go to when you're not feeling well, when something's coming on you. <laughs> to, to have the, you know, Jesus is sometimes called the great physician, right? Wouldn't you rather have him in, in your medical plan than the best doctor in Charlotte? I would. I would. Now, I'm not knocking those doctors. They're good. You know, Pastor Jim says if it, you know, Praise God for the doctors in the medical community. If not, all these unbelieving Christians would have been dead already. 
Yeah. So whether, however you look at it, they're a blessing because they're helping you with your symptoms. But the Holy Spirit is the one who knows everything and can show you everything. So anyway, that's the context we're looking at this. Look in Matthew chapter 10. I'm wanting, wanting you to, we're going to establish first in a couple of scriptures, just like we did there, that the Holy Spirit provides natural provision for your mortal body through this abundant Zoe life that Jesus has given to you. And that this kingdom of God has provision for healing and for health. Look at verse 1. Jesus summoned His 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to what? Heal a few sicknesses here and there. No? What does it say? And to heal every kind of every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. What does that leave out? Nothing. Heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He gave them authority. Okay, so let's break this down just, just for a minute here because I, I want you to clearly see this. If Jesus gave his disciples, now this was before they were born again because he hadn't gone to the cross yet, right? So let's think about the time frame. So up, in, up until and, and in this time period, the Holy Spirit was only on people and around them and helped them, right? Because he was not able to live inside them because Jesus had not gone to the cross yet and made a way for that to happen. So, in all of the universe, who had authority over sickness and disease? God, right? And all three parts of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That was it. Now, Adam had it at one time, but he gave it up, remember? So, Jesus was one of the three beings that had authority over sickness and disease. So, he delegated that authority to his disciples. Now, in in the time we live in, post the cross, and Jesus dying, going to hell, and raising from the dead, defeating Satan... We don't need to be given authority to go on a mission for this. We have it. It's part of our family um, heritage because we're now adopted and we have God living on the inside of us and we get everything Jesus got. If, if that's not clear, go back and, and, and read or listen to those messages um, in part two and part three. But we get everything. So at this point in time though, in in history, Jesus had not gone to the cross, so he granted authority to them, somewhat on a temporary basis, but I think he was trying to get them accustomed to using this authority because when he left, he they were going to go and do these things that Jesus did, right? Greater things shall you do because I go to my Father, right? You shall do them. Right? Didn't he say that? So he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now look at verse 7. It says, And as you go, 
This is still part of the instructions. He was given the twelve. As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's the first thing he said do? Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. So, Jesus was telling them to go and do these things. He gave them temporary authority. He granted it on them. And what did he say to say this was? He said, say this is the kingdom of heaven. Is that what it says? Yeah, this is the kingdom of heaven. This is that other reality, folks. The twelve were going to say, hey, we got a new reality. Jesus of Nazareth sent us to tell you. And here's this other reality from God. He wants to heal you. Line up. And they healed the sick. They raised the dead. Now you talk about getting some headlines in the local newspaper. That would have done it. Here here are these 12 weirdos come to town and they're proclaiming some other new kingdom and they line up all the sick people and, and get them well. And not only that, they go out to the funeral home and they raise all the dead people up. Out of the caskets. And not only that, they went out to the edge of town where the caves where the lepers lived and they cleansed all the lepers. Now, if that didn't make news, (laughs) somebody wasn't listening because that was highly unusual, right? That was not the natural world way of, of things happening, okay? The sick got sick or stayed sick or maybe got well, some died, and the dead stayed dead. And the lepers never got better. They got worse and ultimately died, right? And, and in the meantime, they stayed as outcasts because people were afraid to get near them. But the kingdom of God, this other reality, that was not, that was not acceptable. There was a, a plan to override all that, right? Health care plans was not something new in the 20th century. God had one way back there in the first century, Right? He had it before then, actually. This is good stuff. All right, look at Luke chapter 9. You know, if you've ever been sick, anybody in here ever been sick? If you've ever been sick or you, if you know that you're subject to getting sick, boy, this is something to get excited about. Luke 9, and look, look at, start at verse 1. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons. This is Luke's account of this. Could have happened more than once. Authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim what? The kingdom of God. And to perform healing. This is the way Luke described this. So this story, when Jesus sent them out, you know, he could have sent them out, and, and we would have thought it would have been all spiritual and great and everything if he'd have sent them out and said, go tell people about me. They come hear me and come hear my words because I've got the words of life. Now, they probably did that too. But what were, what were his instructions specifically and first and foremost? Heal the sick. Proclaim the kingdom of God. And what is it? Healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers. Do you think healing and health is a priority to Jesus? 
Okay? Most of you are yes. If you're not thoroughly convinced, hang on to next week because we're going to look at many instances where he healed them. All. A-double-L-L. You know, you know how the, the, the word that's interpreted all in the New Testament, do you know what the word that, that in the Greek that stood for all really means when you interpret it? All. <laughs> A-L-L. Real theological. It means all. Anyway, Keith Moore taught us that. Praise God for Keith Moore. All right. And so this is what the kingdom of God Jesus wanted represented. Was he wanted people to know that he wanted, that God wanted them healed. And you think about that. You want to get somebody's attention, especially somebody who's suffering physically with something. Is it hard for them to focus on something that's seemingly spiritual if they're sick and miserable? Yep, God knew that. He created us. He knew how we're so distracted and focused on our flesh. And so what did He do first? Took care of the flesh. Makes perfect sense. And He made provision for it. So this, is, this goes along with what I said earlier. The context of what we're talking about the last few weeks was your flesh has not received the manifestation of its salvation. That's why you act so ugly sometimes, <laughs> and yet you're saved. You don't have to get born again again every time you go and act ugly with somebody or do something that wasn't nice and sweet, and because you live in the flesh. And by that same principle, you get sick. Your flesh gets sick. It is subject to... Now, again, this is just in the natural. I don't want you to believe for this. But it's subject to diseases and um, illnesses and weakness such that if you fall, especially as you get older, things can break or get damaged. Okay? I'm going to remind you. I'm just talking about the natural laws. Okay? But God made provision. He, he has a health plan in his, in his kingdom. Jesus just said it. Preach him the kingdom. And what is it? Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. This kingdom of God is a kingdom we want to get more and more plugged into. That we want to more and more live in it and let it rule how we live in this natural world. Because there's provision for this natural world in it that supersedes. And is, that's why they call it supernatural. It's over and above the natural. That's why Jesus talked about things come from above. They come from a realm that's above this one. It's greater than this one. It's not subject to, but it created this one. It has the answers for this one. That's why it's so important. I feel that we had this study and that we get ourselves to try to get more in touch with this other reality and stay more in touch with it and get so uh, enthused about it and enthralled by it and excited because of what we see in it 
that we want to be in it more and more. That we want to focus on it more. That to the point we just get so distracted with it, we just kind of let some of this natural stuff just kind of go by the wayside. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't you worry a whole lot less if some of this stuff in the natural world was just like so insignificant that you'd be like, what? Huh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no big deal. Wasn't that the way Jesus was? Did natural circumstances ever bother him? I'm getting off track here a little bit, but did he ever get excited about bad weather and storms? No. He'd go asleep in the back of the boat in the middle of the storm. And this wasn't a ship that had a, you know, a luxury suite cabin on the inside, stateroom. <laughs> he was out in the open, <laughs> getting rained on. Did he get excited when, when hundreds of Pharisees would come against him and it was all of them against him? Nah. Didn't matter. If he wanted to, he could have called down legions of angels and just wiped them all out. So it wasn't a big deal to him. But he didn't do that. Aren't you glad? He didn't get excited about this stuff. Did he get excited when there was 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, out way out in the country, out in the wilderness, and it was lunchtime or dinnertime, and they'd been out there all day, and he, needed to, he was responsible to make sure they got taken care of, and he had nothing to feed them with? Nah, no problem. What we got? Well, we got a couple of loaves and fish. Oh, that's okay, fine. We'll just pray, and pray over it and bless it in faith and speak the word over it, and we'll take care of it. No big deal. If that sounds foreign to us, to live like that, then that's proof to yourself. I'm not going to take a poll or ask for a showing of hands. <laughs> that's proof to yourself that you're not plugged into this other reality to the extent that you ought to be. We, we should get to the point where we read these stories in, in the New Testament and it's not just amazing to us. We should get to the point where that's more like, yeah, that's everyday stuff. That's the way we need to be believing. That's the way my father works. He's a great dad. He provides for all of my needs. It's not that we take it for granted. I'm not saying that. And it's not that we take it lightly that we don't forever praise him and worship him for it. I'm just saying that we understand him so much that we know how he's going to do things. We know what his will is. Half the battle is knowing the will of God. So many people don't know the will of God. You, you go, if you go walk on the street and just stop people and take a poll, do you know what God's will is? About any, you can name anything. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Can we know that? I mean, that's what people would say. They'd say, I don't, you know, you, and then you get the real theological ones that have been in church for a long time. Well, now you never know what God's going to do. Because His ways are higher than our ways. And His thinking is higher than our thinking. We just could never know. Is that what the Bible says? No, the Bible says I have the mind of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if I know Him, I know the way, the truth, and the life, right? I can know the will of God. Why? I got the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of me. And it says, nobody knows the mind and the thinking of, of God, meaning the Father, except the Holy Spirit. And He's given Him to us so we have access. So, 
Knowing God's will is half the battle. If you know the will and you know what's yours and you know how he works and you know how he operates, then the rest of it is just take the faith he gave you and start using it. Because you can use it confidently, which is what faith is. You can use it confidently because you already know what you're standing on, right? Do you know if, if half the Christians would get a hold of this, the whole world would be turned upside down in a year? Just half, probably less than half, probably 10% get a hold of it. Think what could be done. Because people just walk so far below, way under the basement of their privileges and of God's will and of God's provision that it's just pathetic. It's a tragedy. But we're not here to dwell on that. We're here to focus on what he has told us and what he's provided for us. And so we know by these two scriptures, the kingdom of God, and Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come. The angels proclaimed that to the shepherds that night, right? It's peace on earth. God's no longer mad at you. It's peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Jesus went everywhere proclaiming that the kingdom of God was come to the earth. And then he said right here, what is the kingdom? Preach the kingdom. And here's what it is. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Now that's not all of it, but that's the part he wanted to get their attention with, that he led off with. So we know it's still the same. Did Jesus change since, since this time here? Has he ever changed? We'll put it that way. No, not one bit. Has his word ever changed? No, it says itself. It never changes. Not one jot or one tittle. Whatever a tittle is. It's something small. But it never changes even by that amount. So if he said this is the kingdom, this is what the kingdom is. The kingdom provides healing. The kingdom provides health. All right, then we know 3 John 2. That's a, a very well-known scripture. I won't even turn to it. It's on the screen. Beloved, and this is in the NASB in the King James, it says, Beloved, I wish above all things. Now this is John, who was one of the, the inner circle disciples with Jesus. Do you think John knew Jesus pretty well? I think he knew Jesus pretty well. I think he knew Jesus' nature. I think he knew the, the, the intimacy with God. He knew the will of God pretty well. He wrote one of the Gospels, and he wrote these letters in the back, so we believe. That's why they're named after him. And he said, I pray or I wish above all things or in all respects that you prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. Here's somebody who was tight with Jesus while he was physically here on the earth. And what is he praying? He's praying that you would prosper and be in health. If he didn't know that was the will of God, would he be saying that one of the first things he said in his letter? No. And in fact, with most scriptures, you can say that if they're scriptures, that it's somebody wrote it on behalf of God. I think you can go so far to say that God is saying this to you. Beloved, I wish you'd prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Why do you say that? Because if you can't get your thinking straight according to God's will, you're not going to get your flesh, your, your natural body and receiving your healing lined up. Because you've got to receive. 
See, your spirit's believing it. Your spirit's perfect. You've got the Holy Spirit there saying, yeah, 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 yeah. But your, your mind has been taught so much theology and junk that you're going, no, 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 no. <laughs> I feel bad. My body's telling me I feel bad. My body's telling me I'm sick. I'm not the healed. I'm sick. No, but the Spirit and the Spirit of God is saying, no, I am the healed. By Jesus' stripes, I was healed. See, your spirit's got to dominate your, your flesh. But as your mind gets renewed to the Word of God, see, your soul will prosper and you can stand in for prosperity and health. It's like John's telling us here. All right, so we're going to go back. We're going to do a little bit of reconstruction and take this back to the beginning. So go back to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at why the need for all of this. How, how did we get to a state where we need God's health care plan? We need this other reality to come into this natural realm, even before we go to heaven someday, to provide health and healing for us. And so we mentioned earlier that we all agree, I believe, that when, when God created the earth and created mankind, Adam and Eve, that he created them perfect, right? There would have been no sickness in the garden and so forth. We're going to confirm that here. But I want you to, to, to take that context and we're going to look at what we're looking at here in chapter 3. You know chapter 3. It's the part where the devil shows up, right? Everything's all been created. Everything's nice. Everything's perfect. And then the devil shows up. Doesn't he have a ha bad habit of doing that? Terrible habit. All right. Look in... in um, We'll start in verse 13. And this is after it all happened. You know, he showed up. He, he talked Eve into to eating the fruit. He misquoted scripture. Eve was not strong enough on the word of God herself that she could get confused and didn't remember exactly the way God said it. What she said God said was, was half-baked, wasn't true. And then... She should have turned to Adam to confirm whether or not it was right or not. And we don't know if he was right there or not. If he was, he shouldn't have been, he shouldn't have been let Eve have this conversation with the devil, right? He should have gone, as Jim says, he should have gone out and gotten a hoe instead of carrying on a letting her carry on a conversation with the devil. But anyway, all of this happened. She ate, he ate, they sinned. And then God comes looking for them. Right? So that, that's what leads us up to verse 13. And so then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? Okay? There's going to be a couple of things in these verses that focus on those same words. What you have done. Because people who believe in sovereignty this false doctrine that's going through the church today and has for centuries, think that God's behind everything that ever happened and that people are just robots and whatever God's will is, that just happens to you no matter what. Well, I guess he had a plan for that. Uh, okay. And so anyway, you know, if people who believe that would, would naturally have to believe that God caused them to sin 
And then God brought all these circumstances on them, and they had no choice over it. Okay? So I want you to see, to all three of these, he's going to say these words in one way or another. Okay? He said, what is this you have done? He's talking to Eve. And the woman said, (laughs) it was the serpent. (laughs) It wasn't me. (laughs) What we typically do when we get in trouble, we point fingers. (laughs) Oh, it wasn't me. She did it. He did it. Oh, that snake did it. What me? Okay. And so then God said to the serpent. See, what did he say? Because you have done this. Okay. Because you have done this. Cursed are you more than all cattle. And more than every beast of the field and on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Okay, Who, Whose responsibility, whose fault was it that the serpent ended up, or the, the snake, or whatever, however you want to interpret that, ended up going around on its belly and being cursed as cattle over everything other on the earth? Who, who brought that on? Right, Satan. The old serpent himself brought it on. He said, because you have done this. God didn't say, because I made you do this now, then I'm going to make a curse come on you. No, who brought it on? He did. Who brought on Eve's participation that we read up in verse 13? She did. Why have you done this? What is the this? She sinned. Did God make her sin? Is God responsible for her sin? No, if he was, he wouldn't have said, why have you done this? All right? I know you all know this. We're just trying to parse this out so you, so you get it all straight. All right, look in verse 17. Then he said to Adam, because you have listened... Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because I'm, I'm changing it to make it cursed so that you can learn a lesson and live. No, why does it say cursed? Because of you. Cursed because of you. Was it God's will for the, for the ground to be cursed? No, <laughs> that should be a solid, strong answer. No, it wasn't, was any of this God's will? No, these three <laughs> who were involved, it was because of them. God just said so, okay? If you don't believe that, if you believe in sovereignty, then tear these, tear these verses out because you can't go along with that. They did it. And look what he said happens. When he says, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Okay? Those of you who hate going to work, you can blame it on Adam. <laughs> okay? Because he's the one who's from then on, you got to go to work. All right? Then, verse 18. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. See, there weren't thorns and thistles before then. 
Some of us who've ever gardened know that's part of the curse, man. <laughs> there is no godly purpose for them things. <laughs> it's under the curse. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What is he describing here? He's describing death, right? The process of death. This was not a part of the creation. If you read anywhere in Genesis 1 and 2, this was not, this was not created. This is what he just described. Thorns, thistles, and the ground being cursed, and it bringing up, and you have to eat from it, and as you, as in the course of time, you eat from it, and you're going to die. Okay? The only, the only hint of it was God said when he told them, don't eat of the fruit of that tree, lest you die. Right? But as long as they didn't, there was no lest you die that would ever come into the play. But because they did, and some people would some people argue who were confused, say, Well, Adam and Eve didn't drop dead when they ate of the of the apple or of the fruit, whatever the fruit was. So God didn't really mean that, and so you have to spiritualize everything and he didn't really mean they would that death would come in and they would die. I mean what he meant was that they would have a spiritual deficiency and all of this. And you've got to go to seminary to understand this and all this. No. Did they die? Are Adam and Eve still living on the earth today? They died. (laughs) Okay? In fact, they died thousands of years ago. If you go back through chronology in here. They died. Just because they didn't drop dead immediately, it was a process. God described it right here in chapter 3. Now they're subject to eating from the ground. The ground, by the way, is also cursed now because of what who did. They did. And it's going to bring up stuff that's cursed. And over time, as they eat it, it's going to bring death on them. And they're going to physically die. And did it all happen? It happened exactly like God said. Now they lived hundreds of years. But they eventually died. And everybody since then did. Except for Enoch, and he was taken up in the whirlwind or whatever. (laughs) Okay? So the word of God is true, but because of what happened here in this incident, that sin came in the earth, physical sickness, physical death, a process of your body decaying, all these things came into the creation. And it not only came to Adam and Eve, it came to all creation. Because he said, cursed is the ground. Did all the animals die? Is there any animals living today that we know of that was still living back in Genesis 3? Mm -mm. In fact, many whole species have died off and become extinct. But animals typically have a lifespan a lot less than ours. I don't believe any of that was God's plan originally because there was no death. How could it have been? This is when death came. I don't know. You've probably sat around and thought about this at some point. But I I want us to think about it in light of what does the Scripture actually say. And this is what it says right here. And so this is the reason that we need in order to 
to continue to live or to live past sickness and disease or had the ability to, we needed something to counter this because this became every person born of Adam and Eve. Is everybody in here born of Adam and Eve? We don't have any aliens in here, right? Okay. Everybody in here was born after Adam and Eve or from ultimately back. You can trace your roots back to Adam and Eve. And so we're all under this curse or were under this curse. So this is why we need, this is why Jesus knew it was important to say when the kingdom of God has come, when this other reality is invaded, guess what it brings? Healing, raising from the dead, cleansing the lepers. Brings these things, healing and health, we could say, or life. Life that overrides this. All right? Did we look at, we looked at verse 19. Okay, let's look at Galatians chapter 3. So death came, the ground, the earth was cursed. Who cursed it? Did God curse it? God didn't curse it. They brought the curse on by what they did. Why have you done this? Because of you. Remember those words. If you don't get anything else today, <laughs> leave here when you leave out. Remembering that Adam and Eve and the devil, it's because of them. <laughs> All right? Galatians 3. So because of that, the ground is cursed, the plants are cursed, the earth is cursed, your death comes to every human being. Death has, we say, prevalence over what was life on the earth. And even if it doesn't happen instantaneously, it's a process. It, it, it's going on all the time in the natural realm. Right? There's an obituary in every day's newspaper. Funeral homes are doing a thriving business. Okay? So, it's, it's still going on today. So, we have need for an answer. Ever since that time, back in the beginning there in the Garden of Eden, we've had need for an answer. All right, look at Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. And we'll probably back up a little bit, but we'll start at 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. So here's Jesus who came, and, and we remember what we heard um, back in the first part of the series, and then if you, if you were here at Christmas Eve, the Christmas Eve message about He came, He was not born under that, Right? He had an earthly mother, but he didn't have an earthly father. He had an earthly father who was perfect, had never sinned. He was born as one born into this earth, unlike everybody before him who wasn't born into sin, wasn't born under this curse. So he came to the earth, invaded, intervened from another realm to come as one that's no, not like none on, in this realm, a perfect one. And so it says, He came and redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. How did He become a curse? He wasn't under the curse. How did He become a curse? Well, here's what it says. For it is written, it's in the Scripture, it's in God's Word. 
Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Okay, does he qualify? Did he hang on a tree? Okay, that's why we have these things in here. <laughs> we got this one. <laughs> we got that one over there. We got that great big one in the gathering room in there. It's why? It's to remind us. <laughs> it's to remind us that he came and died on a tree. Well, that's terrible. <laughs> that's terrible. We're going, to say, we're going to be reminded Jesus died all the time and that people tortured him and nailed him to a tree. That's awful, isn't it? It is. But the thing we're supposed to be reminded of when we see that is not that just that he died on a tree, but why? He became the curse for us. So we don't have to be under this curse all the rest of the time. That's what the reminder's about. It's because he became the one cursed. We were cursed already. We didn't have to do anything. (laughs) But he became cursed to take our curse from us and to make a way for us to become uncursed. Is that a word? (laughs) I don't know. But so it'll help you understand. Jesus wanted us to be uncursed, not subject to the curse. Out from under the curse, however you want to say it. That's probably more proper English. Yes. Did Adam and Eve sin without faith? It's a good question. I don't know. They were, because they were created to have three parts. Because remember in um, verse 26 of chapter 1, he said, let us create man in our image, in our likeness. So image, meaning they would look like God, maybe not exactly in, in appearance, but when you took the what made up man, they would look like God. God has three parts. But also he said in our likeness. What is God like? Well, God's like Three parts. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And they were all three there, we know, according to John chapter 1, when it happened. So, yeah, I would say they did. And that life, that fellowship that they had available in their spirits then, because of the curse and sin, God couldn't cross that line anymore. And this gets into a little bit of theology, but you study it out in the Old Testament. If when you talk about things like where his presence was and the Ark of the Covenant and so forth, when, when the real physical presence of God met with unholy, sinful man, something terrible happened. <laughs> they, their, their physical bodies couldn't contain the presence of God. Because of what? Because of sin nature. It permeated. But thank God for Jesus because he made a way that our spirits could then be reborn like we were created to be originally, having God living on the inside of us and having fellowship with us in the real us, which is the spirit man. They're excellent questions. Yes. I guess I've always thought about why did he do this to Eve? But God 
we also at this point are quietly elevating ourselves. I don't know mm -hmm. why that. There's a lot of good teaching. I think it's um, um, from Bible Camp. Um, summer Bible Camp. Really? No. Arthur. Arthur, I think, had some good teaching on this, but, but, actually, and we don't we don't really have time to get into it, but, but when Satan was Lucifer, meaning one of the archangels, by who whose will directed what he did? No, I mean while he was still an archangel, Lucifer. Think of Gabriel. Who sent Gabriel and how, what did Ga whose words did Gabriel speak? God's. Think of, of the difference between angels and us. Angels are messengers. Angels are those created beings who carry out the will of God, deliver God's word. So that's a good point. When he was still living outside of rebellion, before he rebelled, he would... Anything he would have done would have been at God's instructions, God's prompting. So it could be a very good question to God ask him now, why have you done this? Because he knows it wasn't his instructions. So he's done this on his own accord, which goes back to your, your first question. Isn't it interesting when you, when you look at this stuff in depth and you see now some of this is more details but I'm but we're getting the point that the curse came and the curse brought with it this process that he's describing in Genesis 3 16 17 18 19 of death physical body sickness disease and death right and so because of that we had a need for some some way to get out of this curse there was no way out of it except somebody come who's not subject to the curse, who wasn't under the curse, and that was Jesus. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we celebrate the cross, which was the ultimate purpose of Christmas, is that he came and died, like it says in Galatians 3, he became the curse, so we'd have a way out. And then through him, who was not subject to the curse, he, he suffered under it in our place and then provided us what he should have gotten, which was not to suffer and to be over to override the curse. Yes, ma'am. I was just thinking of everything I've talked today that he gave us Jesus because he loved us so much, and through that love, he put the love of Jesus Christ in this little person, and through that love is the healing power of him. Because he wants us to, to be well as we advance his kingdom for us. Amen. Amen. And that is such a good point. And again, and I think I maybe mentioned this either in the last part of this or, or before, just touched on it, is that we should want this. We not just want it and know it's provided for us. We should be dogmatically determined that when sickness comes on us and it's not, you, you shouldn't be, feel ashamed or whatever when sickness comes on you. Why? Because Genesis 3 said, that's, that's part of the natural way things work. It's going to come, right? 
you can't believe to not be subject to ever getting any. What you can believe is to be not be subject to it for it to remain because a way has been made, Galatians 3 right here. And so the point is, we should be so dogmatically determined that when we get sick, this is not mine. I'm not staying sick, bless God. This is not my inheritance. I'm not keeping this garbage. This came from the curse. And sometimes the devil will come along and help it out (laughs) in the here and now and bring you an extra baggage load of it, of curse. That's all he can peddle is is the wares of the curse. That's all he has. things that come across our path. If someone showed doc, if someone showed up at your door with something you don't want, most of us would be pretty pretty sure those of those here that maybe don't want a pet, if someone showed up at your door with a pet, <laughs> you would you know, thank you, I appreciate this, but that's not mine. Or if we were at the store and someone said, does this belong to you? Somebody dropped this. Does this belong to you? Most of the time we think, no, that does not belong. So in the natural, when someone's trying to give us something that's really not ours, I mean, years ago we used to, we tried to go to the mall and give money at Christmas, and it was amazing how many people would not take it. Now if they were... If they She's were talking about cash. Cash. Like, do re me, U.S. currency. People to bless them. And finally, I went, we went up to some young people and said, would you like this money? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and it, but it was just so amazing. So that's why I try to over tip and stuff like that, because that's one way that they do believe. Okay, I'll give them a chance. But I think that's, in my mind, the analogy of that's what I need to be. When thoughts that are not the gods, when sickness and disease, I would very much think that's not mine about something else. I need to be, I, Charlene needs to be that way about other things. And then this week, the Lord, I was praying and that, and God's, the Holy Spirit just said, this year I want you to think about thoughts and actions that are not of me, like a stick. And the devil is throwing that stick out, wanting to play fun. And I want you to say, I'm not playing fun. It doesn't belong to me. That stick does not belong to me. Amen. Don't be a hound dog to the devil. <laughs> Don't take what doesn't belong to you. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying feel condemned if you got sick. Don't feel condemned if you stayed sick for a week or two. What I'm saying is... What do you receive in your heart? From the moment you get sick, what I'm wanting you to get to is a point where you say, I don't receive this. It might be manifested in me, and I'm going <coughs> to contend against it so it doesn't manifest very long, but even if it does, I don't receive this. This does not belong to me. 
I am not under the curse. Okay, this is what we're just getting to here in Galatians 3. Because why? Jesus became the curse for me. Took my curse. Because I've received Him, I receive what He gets. He was not subject to the curse. He's not subject to it now. He became the curse voluntarily to take it away from me. So why do I want to go back and live under the curse? Why do I want to go back to the garden in Genesis 3 and say, Okay, I'll take cursed ground. I'll take thorns and thistles and weeds. And I'll take stuff that grows that will poison me and cause me to die. Why would I do that? I don't have to do that. A way has been made for me that overrides that. So I'm not condemned when, I, when something comes on me. Or when I do something stupid and I get one of those natural consequences. Why? Because I live in this natural world. I still live here. You know, I pinch myself. I'm going to feel it. <laughs> I haven't gotten a spiritual body yet. Okay? So I'm, I, I, it's possible for me to feel and experience these things and get them. But I don't have to keep them. That's the good news. That's where the other reality comes and invades and overrides this reality that I'm in. Amen? Talk up so I can pick you up on the mic. <laughs> Amen. And some people would hear that and say, you're weird. You're part of that name it, claim it bunch, right? You just, you just <laughs> na name stuff and you claim it like if it's going to change because it's not true or anymore or whatever. No, 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 no. What we're saying is we're receiving something that is, a, that is a hard and fast fact and the truth from a reality that overrides this one that's greater than this one that says, I don't have to have that. 
provision has been made for me to overcome that. So while allergies might be trying to come on me, and in the natural, I probably would have them and get attacked by them and have to deal with them, I'm not subject to that. Now, the balance to this is if you hear this, don't get condemned if you're experiencing allergies. Just take this and say, you know what? That's good news. I don't have to put up with these allergies. I'm going to fight them. Again, it's no condemnation if you have something or something's attacked you because it attacks everybody. It was, it was described right here in Genesis 3. It's going to happen. It's the natural course of things. But we have a Savior who provided a way. And He provided a way for you to be redeemed from this curse of Genesis 3 and of the earth and of the natural realm. And so, but you have to be, you have to be determined. Did you have to be determined to receive Jesus as your Savior and be born again? Did you just sit under a, a meeting and there was some evangelist or something and preached a message or you were in church or, you saw, or some friend witnessed to you and you heard it and just automatically you just became born again? Uh-uh. Because we know there are people who hear the same thing we heard and then prayed a prayer and received and confessed Jesus that were there at the same time and didn't do it and never have. So you had to make a decision, right? And you had to be determined. I'm going to walk down there and I'm going to pray that prayer that that guy's saying we're going to pray. And I'm going to get this Jesus in my heart. And I'm going to be born again. Whatever you understood at that time. Some of us were really little. Some of us were a little bit bigger. And some might have been older when you received Jesus. But whenever it was, you had to be determined. I'm, going to, I'm making a decision. I'm going to believe and I receive and I'm going to, I'm going to pray that prayer. And this is for me. Okay? Why do we think it's any different for anything else we receive from God? That we're just supposed to be automatically, well, if it's God's will, I'd just be healed. So it must be God's will that I get sick because I'm a Christian and I'm born again. So if it wasn't God's will, why would I get sick? Wasn't it God's will that you had to make a decision to get born again? He made provision, but he didn't make you a puppet and, and grab you up by the hair of the head and shake the devil out of you, as people say. No, you had to decide, and you had to receive it, and you had to do something about it. That's the way he wants it, because he created us as free, free will creatures like him, because he made us in his likeness, and he has a free will, doesn't he? Thank God he does, because <laughs> if he didn't have a free will, he probably would have never done this plan. <laughs> but we have to be the same way. You have to make a decision, and you have to be determined. If you don't, does that mean you're no longer a Christian? Well, if I decide not to fight sickness this time, I'm just going, you know, I need to rest, so I'm going to take a few days off, and I'm going to lay on the couch and cover up and, and so forth. Yeah, you can do that. Does that mean you lose your salvation? Absolutely not. You can take it if you want to. You know, I'm not condemning you. But if you don't want to, you can make a decision 
And again, this goes, this goes in a realm beyond where most Christians live, unfortunately, sad to say. But you can make a decision of your will and you can let your spirit dominate you and pull yourself up and agree with the word of God and say, you know what? I'm not putting up with this flu this year. I'm not even going to take the flu this year. If it comes on me, it's not because I'm taking it. And I'm going to fight that sucker with everything that's within me because I have a provision right here. Jesus took the curse for me. Let's look at a few more verses real quick here in this. It says, verse, back up in verse 10, For as many as were, are of the works of the law are under a curse if we didn't already know that from Genesis 3, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. So just in case you thought you could, you could be good enough, you'd have to continually do everything in the law all the time, 24-7, 365, and never do it with anything less than perfection. Has anybody ever lived that could do that other than Jesus? But he wasn't, he wasn't born under the law. No. So you're all under this curse, just in case you didn't get Genesis 3. Now that no one is justified by the law before God, it's evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. So even if you could do all that perfectly, 100%, 365, 24-7, and never do it without any error, the Bible says if you really want to be justified, you have to live by faith. And living by the law is not living by faith. So you still can't get it unless you live by faith. And this is what leads up to verse 13. And then 12 says, However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. So you either make a decision. You live by law or you live by faith. If you live by law, you've got to do it perfect all the time. But then the Bible says still you can't be righteous because the righteous have to be righteous by faith. But if you live by faith, you don't have to live by the law. And so the choice is to live by faith. And then it goes to verse 13. It says, and then Jesus became the curse for us so that we don't have to. In verse 14, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Going back to you, didn't, you were a spirit, but you didn't have the Spirit living in you under the curse but now, through Jesus, you can have the Spirit living in you. All right, we're going to have to quit there. We've gone over time. We will come back next time and we'll pick up with Isaiah because Isaiah talks about this, prophesies about what Galatians 3 told us as past tense because Galatians was after Jesus. But Isaiah is going to tell us from the other side, prophesying about what Galatians just told us was now a known fulfilled fact, Isaiah was given this prophecy ahead of time about Jesus becoming the curse. So we're going to read more about that next time. Why did you listen to your wife? 
have a choice. All that could have been stopped. So we can't blame Satan. Can't say it was Satan. Now, if they had said no to Satan, God would have dealt with Satan at that point. Mm-hmm. Not saying that somewhere down the line, Adam or Eve would have said, <laughs> like Satan, hey, I think I'm just as good as that. I don't or several that. generations down. We don't know. Right. However, it, Lucifer made a decision to show up. That's and we know right. his participation here is what? Brought the situation. Says he's he's speculating that it was that God sent Lucifer down to minister. His angels are to minister to him. And when Lucifer saw the authority that said, you know, man has over everything, and angels can have that. They have to do what God pleases. Satan said, Hey, I don't like that. Again, we can't blame and sit on Satan because Eve had a choice, Adam had a choice, and we can say, well, wow, because of them, I'm in this, you know, I was born in sin. But praise God, I'd rather than that because if you join Adam to um, every white sin, guess who's going to be The second Adam? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, it's awesome. And and while, you know, we can, we can... We can literally put some measure of blame on Adam and Eve. You know, we were born into this mess because of what you guys did. We then go further and we <laughs> we make our own decisions <laughs> after them. And, and we add, what is it, insult to injury <laughs> and make it worse. So you're not innocent on your own. All right. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for showing us these things so we can live the life that you've called us to live. Even if we're just beginning to scratch the surface, that we can live in a greater, more abundant life. And we thank you for it. We praise you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for joining us today for Principles of Faith with Scott Gray. This message is brought to you by Hope Church. If you would like more information about Hope Church or to listen to more Principles of Faith with Scott Gray, please go to www.hopechurchnc.org. That's www.hopechurchnc.org.